the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now, the following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got everything altogether, all he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he <clears throat> he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. 
He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a, 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 a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother's come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back, safe and sound. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in. So his father went out to him, and pleaded. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, You're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he's found. The parable of the, of the prodigal and his elder brother. Now, yesterday we considered this prodigal son. Today, let's look at the older son who, the story opens, he's in the field working. And he comes home after a hard day in the field, hoeing the corn or whatever they were planting, watering, tired, dirty, and he hears the music and the dancing. So he calls one of the servants and he says, What's going on? 
and he hears the news. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now the older brother's heart is going to be totally revealed. He responds with anger and bitterness. And he refuses to go in. So his father comes out and pleads with him. But all the father gets back are accusations that he's unfair. Now, before we begin to really look at this whole parable again today, I want to be very clear about something. The father demonstrates compassion and love, but also absolute humility. There is no sin to be found in the father. The father responds with compassion to his youngest son, And even though his youngest son comes with insults, demanding his share of the estate, putting at risk the whole family, there's no protectiveness in the father's heart. There's only compassion and mercy. He's not looking out for his own self-best interest. He's laying his life down. He's laying the farm down for this youngest son. And he gives him what he asks. With no recrimination, no bitterness, no anger. This youngest son has put a knife in the father's heart. He has struck his father. A body blow that the father may not be able to recover from. But the father does not respond by striking the son cursing him, withholding from him. No, he gives him what he's asked for at great personal expense and risk. And now he's going to work on the farm under very difficult terms and conditions. But now he's going to work for his eldest son. For now, the remaining inheritance will belong to him. But now the younger son returns. Home is where the heart is. And he's saying, Father, can I come home? Of course you can come home. The prodigal can always come home. The prodigal is always welcome home. But the elder brother is angry. And he also strikes the father. A deep body blow, a knife in his heart. As he refuses to welcome his younger brother home. Bitterness and recrimination, accusations flow from the mouth of the eldest son who doesn't have the heart of the father. But I want you to see the father does not respond to the elder brother with anger or bitterness or or condemnation. Instead, he, with great kindness, pleads with his older son. 
and is utterly rejected. And he tells his eldest son, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. But the older brother has no pity for his younger brother. He's only angry. And he strikes the father. This father is a representation of of Jesus himself or of our Father who art in heaven. No, no recrimination. And it brings me to a, a most difficult place. The Father is so unlike me And I am so much like the elder brother. I've always been in the church. I've always done my best. Oh, but when I look at this story, I want to tell you what the very heart of it is for me. And that is a great resistance in the heart of both the prodigal and the elder brother to humble their hearts before God, before their father, and before each other. This resistance to God is the greatest block in the Christian church today It keeps us out of the kingdom of heaven. It keeps us out of the courts of God. It makes our prayers not answered. This resistance to God. This elder brother, in his anger and in his self-righteousness, thinking that he has been mistreated all of these years, that he never had what he deserved. He didn't have a party with his friends. He's angry. He's resistant to the father's tender pleading. He is full of himself and of his desires. I've lived long enough to watch this play out in many different ways in the lives of God's people. A beautiful young woman grew up in a a mean, poor family with fighting and bickering. And she settled in her heart that she was going to escape all of that. That she was going to be able to live a life that she deserved to live. And this handsome man came into her life. He was tender-hearted. He was a poet. 
He was full of life and energy. And he fell in love with this beautiful young woman. And they were married. Now this woman was exceptional in every way. She played musical instruments, the organ, the piano. He sang beautifully, and together they did duets. But there was poison in the heart of this woman. She wanted the finer things of life. And she was clear that her husband had the capacity to bring her those finer things of life. And so she could take the most humble thing in the house and turn it into something beautiful. She could take a lampshade and and redo it and make it something beautiful. She arranged the flowers in the house and I was astonished at how talented she was in making things beautiful. She knew how to dress with just the right clothing even though she was very poor. She could make a rag look like a gown. She was a seamstress. She was personality plus. Everybody liked to be around her. But there was a poison in her soul. And that poison was she wanted to be somebody. So she pushed her husband to go after the gold ring, the brass ring, she pushed him constantly to go do more, be more. You can, you can earn more money. We can go for it. And he started a business. Unfortunately, he was much more of a romantic than he was a businessman. She was the businesswoman. She could sharpen her pencil. And she did with her husband. And she pushed him constantly on his case. Let's go. Let's do it. We can make it. And that bitterness became contempt for her romantic lover. Finally, when I met them and I heard their story, he was unable to hold a normal conversation with me. Instead, all he could talk about were his grand ideas, his great possibilities. He was pushed into a manic depressive. His wife wants a new car, so he went down and bought the new car. Not one. He bought himself and his wife both a new car, but he had no means of paying for it. So in great scorn, she returned both of the cars. And then his, his older, 
his younger brother. Very successful in business. Invited him to come and be the vice president of his business. Along the same lines that he was accustomed to. And so he took the position. But his wife was so determined that he should have more and more, be paid better. The whole family became involved in her fighting with the younger brother that her husband deserved more. He was in over his head in a company that was larger than he was accustomed to. And finally, because of the wife's constant conflict and because of his inability to function because of her pressure, he fired his brother. Well, now they lived in the same community and he went back to his basement printing press and she was angry. And now the whole family is involved, brothers, sisters. They're all involved in the hatred because one brother has fired the other. I watched as this man slowly died day by day, emotionally slipping into depression. And then finally he died. And the wife was left with meager funds. Finally went to live with her daughter. What was at the very core of, of the struggle between these two brothers? It was an ambitious spirit in this man's wife. She was never going to be happy with him. If this happened today, she would have just divorced him and gone on down the road and found a, a rich man. But then divorce was not an option. And so she suffered with a husband that she scorned because he was not enough. He was not able to provide her with a lifestyle to which she wanted to become accustomed. She was proud and arrogant. This elder son he likewise was, likewise was proud, resistant to his father. Caused great difficulty in the family. Rejecting his younger brother, not welcoming him with open arms, but angry and bitter. It wasn't his inheritance that had been lost. It was the father's. Half of his inheritance had come early to the younger brother. It didn't touch the older brother. His was still the farm. 
but he was angry. He judged his younger brother. I'm so glad the father was so compassionate to both. But I want to tell you the great problem we're facing in the American church is what I have found in my own heart. I grew up in a very poor family. I was the youngest of three boys. I always wanted to be a pastor. But I also found in my heart a poison. I was born with it. I don't know how it came to me. My father was a very humble man. My mother was a very humble woman. But in my heart, I said, I don't want to be poor. I want to be successful. I want to be somebody. Now, I'd chosen the ministry, and so I reached out very quickly as a young man, talented and capable as a speaker, and I began to reach out for opportunities that came my way. And so I very early in my ministry began touring with with others and speaking on college campuses. I was pastoring a small country church. But oh, I was, I was utterly full of myself. My ambition to be lauded as somebody. I wanted recognition. I wanted power. I wanted... I wanted to be recognized. And so I was given, and I took many opportunities to advance my career. And I was extremely successful in that. But there came a time when the Lord rebuked me. And in that time of rebuke, I humbled my heart. But then I was offered a very prestigious position, a very prestigious church pastorate. And I took it. And in humility... I worked to build that church up and it was built very rapidly and I was extremely successful. And I became very proud. Long story short, the Lord had to step in and humble me again. And I lost everything through nothing that I had done wrong. It was simply my ambition and the Lord stepping in and saying, enough, I have other plans for you. And so he took me through a process of of breaking, of humbling. It was very painful. He took me out of public ministry for seven years. 
For five of those, I was homeless with my wife. We lived with a family who were not Christians. They were very gracious to us. and We spent those years in prayer and fasting and waiting upon God. And God finally heard my prayer, and he brought us to the National Prayer Chapel. have recognized the greatest issue of my heart. It is my resistance to God. (coughs) Evan Roberts in the Welsh Revival would stand in front of congregations and plead and say, will you please stop resisting the Holy Spirit? Please stop resisting the Holy Spirit. And he would begin to pray and he would say, Lord, bend us, bend us. The Lord has has been working for many years to humble my heart until I finally say, Lord, I'm the least of your children. I'm not anybody. And I pray, O God, take from my heart all the pride that yet remains, for I know there is yet pride in my heart. Even after all these years watching, listening, being humbled by God, I know there's still pride in my heart. And I weep over it. This last week, I I did a very kind act for a person. I wasn't asked to do it. It was just done in kindness and mercy. And that person responded with bitterness and anger and struck me with words. And I was so hurt by the anger and the bitterness for I've not done anything to earn that I said Lord my response to that striking reveals in my heart that I'm still proud if there had not been pride in my heart I would have simply fallen on my face as Moses did and prayed for this person and said, Lord, save them from their bitterness and their anger. But instead I brooded over my hurt until the Lord said, Stop it. Pray for them. Pray my mercy for them. Pray my salvation for them. For they are lost and filled with darkness. I had to say, O Lord, I humble my heart once more. I was revealed, my heart was revealed, my heart showed my response to a bitter response from someone 
a bitter attack by someone, and my heart was hurt by that, it reveals that I expect to be treated differently than that, and that expectation flows out of pride. Said of God. I'm still thinking about myself. I'm still being hurt by my expectations. I'm still being hurt by my pride. Oh God, break this wicked pride in my heart, this self concern, this desire to be loved. I grew to believe that if I pleased everyone, then I would finally receive what I wanted. And I have learned through the years that that's absolutely wrong. That I am not to be a pleaser to any person, but I'm to respond with kindness and mercy. And if I'm reviled and cursed, it's okay. For my Security is found in Jesus. If I am deserted and cursed, it's okay. If I am rebuked, it's okay. If I am angered, it reveals my pride. If I am hurt, it reveals my pride. You know, I'm not unlike many of you. I have a very clear understanding of how things should be, of how people should function, how they should treat one another, how they should... It's called pride. And then when they don't act like I think they should act, like the elder brother, I become angry and cut them off. Many years ago, my niece was getting married, and she had a favorite pastor, and she asked him if he would do the wedding. She had cut me off because I had left that denomination. I was so angry because of that snub, that insult, that I refused to go to the wedding. I've always been sorrowful in my heart about that. I was wrong. It was pride. My pride likes to hide in common sense. My pride likes to hide in expectations for people to act like Jesus. My pride hides in in my demands that people respect me. It's all wicked pride.
It's all wicked pride. There's a parable that Jesus gave. I, I frankly think it probably was not a parable. He used it as a parable, but I'm suspecting that he experienced what is being spoken of in Luke, Luke the 15th chapter. No. Luke the 14th chapter. He was invited as a as a guest at the house of a prominent Pharisee. And as he is there, he noticed how the guest picked the places of honor at the table. And he began to speak a parable to them that I suspect was something that he had walked out. He says in Luke 14, verse 8, when, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited to take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You can see James and John and their mother and you can see their mother urging them, look, there are two places at the head table. Go grab those seats while they're open. Well, you can see Jesus and his mother Mary seated in way in the back of the room in a corner where no one will see them. Jesus is saying, look, <clears throat> Take the place of, of humility. Don't push yourself forward. Don't act as though you know better than your boss. Oh, my boss is wrong. He wants... No, your boss is not wrong. He owns the company. Do you want to work for him? If you do, take the place of humility and say, Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Stop fighting for your rights. Stop trying to be somebody. That's the message of Scripture. Humble your hearts. That has cut like a lash across my pride. And so this, this telling of where you take a seat is so vital. And Jesus would say, 
Turn the tables on them. Turn the tables on them. Don't put yourself forward as somebody. Don't argue for the best seat. Let everybody take their seat first and then you take the lowest seat. My dad used to say to me, I was just a little boy, he would say, Raymond, let's go early to church. Why, Daddy? Well, because I want to wind the clock and I want you to hand out the hymnals and straighten the pews. Okay, Daddy. Well, you're not somebody when you're doing that. You're a servant. You're setting it up for others. So I learned very early to take care of the church. But then I grew proud in my taking care of the church. Jesus is saying, humble your heart. Don't try to be somebody. One of the most dangerous places a person can take in today's church is to consider yourself a prayer warrior or to consider yourself an intercessor. I have one woman who says to me, Pastor, I'm a, I'm a prophetess of God. Really? Who says? Oh, you say. You say you're a watchman on the wall. Who says that? Oh, you say you are. So it's your claim about yourself. Oh, you're a, a prayer intercessor? You're important then, aren't you? Oh, yes, I, I intercede for God's will to be done. Well, God's will to be done is for you to humble your heart and give up your titles and be a nobody. breaks my heart to see wives driving their husbands to, to utter despair and destruction because they want to be somebody. It breaks my heart to see husbands try to force their wives into their mold so they can be respected in somebody. How is it with you today? Are you somebody? Did you buy that car so you could be somebody? Did you buy that house or that dress so people would notice you? Did you buy those clothes? One man I know, he dresses with such extravagant excellence that everyone notices him wherever he goes. They point him out and say, look, there's a gentleman. He's somebody. We better get to know him. Are you a climber? Do you demand that things be done your way? Do you demand that people conform to your will? Are you an elder brother? Are you 
indignant with people because they don't rise to your expectation? Are you quick to speak about, oh, you're wrong. That's not how it is. Let me explain to you how things really are. Let me, let me correct your understanding of your theological position. I'm so sick of arguments about theology. I'm so sick of trying to be somebody. Of being hurt when somebody responds with insult. I'm sick of it. I want to be like Jesus. Of course, you know that passage of Scripture in the fifth chapter of First Peter. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. One of the listeners to this broadcast, a, a dear friend, I've never met her, but I've just gotten many letters and many offerings. She sent me this. Andrew Murray. I'll read it to you. Here I will give you an infallible touchstone that will tie everything to the truth. It is this. Retire from the world and all conversation only for one month. Neither write nor read nor debate anything with yourself. Stop all the former workings of your heart and mind, and with all the strength of your heart stand for the entire month as continually as you can in the following form of prayer to God. Offer it frequently on your knees, but whether sitting, walking, or standing, be always inwardly longing and earnestly praying this one prayer to God. Lord, I pray that of your great goodness you would make known to me and take from my heart every kind and form and degree of pride, whether it be from evil spirits or from my own corrupt nature, and that you would awaken in me the deepest depth and truth of the humility that can make me capable of your light and Holy Spirit. Reject every thought except that of waiting and praying in this manner from the bottom of your heart with the kind of truth and earnestness that is used by people in torment who wish to pray and be delivered from it. If you can and will give yourself up in truth and sincerity to this spirit of prayer, I will venture to affirm that if you had twice as many evil spirits in you as Mary Magdala had, they will all be cast out of you. And you will be forced with her to weep tears of love at the feet of the holy Jesus. Once more this prayer is, Lord, I pray that of your great goodness you would make known to me 
and take from my heart every kind and form and degree of pride, whether it be from evil spirits or my own corrupt nature, and that you would awaken in me the deepest depth and truth of the humility that can make me capable of your light and Holy Spirit. It is this proud resistance to God in my heart and in your heart that must be dealt with. That we would no longer resist God. That we would no longer fight for our own opinions. That we would humble our hearts before God. that we would cast all of our burdens, all of our anxieties upon him and give to him our husband, give to him our wife, give to him our children, give to him our boss, give into the hand of Jesus our own fate, our own destination. and so humble our hearts before God that we could hear his voice calling after us. This elder son, he was so full of himself. He was so determined that he would protect what was his because now there's a chance that father would take some of what was his and give it to this wicked younger son. We human beings have a very high regard for what God hates because we have a very different standard of judgment. We believe that each man should pursue his own happiness and at the same time not infringe on anyone else's happiness. Humanism 101. It's a lie. I'm called to humble my heart before Almighty God to cast all of my anxieties upon Him to trust that He can straighten out that wife or He can straighten out that husband that He can straighten out that boss without my help my job is simply to humble my heart and love them and serve them and pray for them and if I'm not able to do that in person, to do it in the prayer closet. And that's what I'm doing. I'm asking you today to take up this prayer. Lord, I pray that of your great goodness, you would make known to me and take from my heart every kind and every form and every degree of pride 
whether it's from an evil spirit or whether it's from my own corrupt nature, and that you would awaken in me the deepest depth and truth of the humility that can make me capable of your light and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not come to a proud people. And we have lived so much in the pride of our age that we're unable to hear the voice of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is far from us. It's time to humble our hearts before a holy God and before each other. It's time for us to stop resisting God. To stop striking Him with bitter fists. To stop trying to be somebody. But to humble our hearts. Oh Lord, I ask that you would do this work in my heart. That you would make known to me every part of my pride. That I would release it into your hands. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would stop resisting you. That they would humble their hearts. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. Please write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I also thank the many of you who've been giving on the Internet, going to nationalprayerchapel.com Thank you. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.